It's good to be here. Uh, I was sick last weekend and uh, came down with some flu-like symptoms, and I'm, I'm glad to be on the mend and with you today. Um, two weeks ago was the AFC Championship game, as many of you know, and uh, uh, a friend of mine had offered me some free tickets, and uh, we got there just at game time, and I was waiting outside this restroom, and a guy handed me a bag, and then uh, he went to the restroom, and... Uh, there's been a lot of talk about thermodynamics and inflated footballs, but I, I want you to know it wasn't Tom Brady. It wasn't Bill Belichick. It was me. I deflated the footballs and I acted alone. Of course, I'm, I'm kidding, mostly. Um, but it, it's great to be here with you talking about next and generosity. And we're just going to jump into it today. We're jumping into the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus gets a bad rap a lot of time. It's got some, some funky things in it, and it's hard to understand, and there's tons of historical context that are wrapped into it. But I want to jump into a really special chapter um, and talk a little bit about chapter 19. Leviticus is a really special book, though. Um, it, it's the first book that gives us this clear vision of what it looks like to live in a place where God is in charge. Like Leviticus is really this picture of how God wanted to set up how humans relate to one another in a way that makes the most sense possible. So there's a lot of things to be gathered from Leviticus. It's also the very first book, and I don't, wanna, I don't want you to miss this. It's the very first book of its kind in the history of humanity to espouse universal human rights. The very first in the history of the world to give human rights to the poor widows, orphans, the blind, the deaf, and the foreigner. Something that we take for granted was not a part of any ancient writings before Leviticus. And uh, without Judaism and Christianity and, and what has been instilled in us through this text in Leviticus, these ideas of human rights and the value of a human being because God made them and instilled them with value... The idea of human rights would have been millennia further down the road after the, the might equals right ethos of the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Huns, the Greeks, the Romans, the Visigoths. Like all these historical huge cultures did not espouse universal human rights. But the Jews did 3,500 years ago. Um, and it's a prototype. This is, this is a, a, a picture of what it looks like to live in civilized society and it was also a blueprint, Leviticus is a blueprint for how God wanted the Israelites to distinguish themselves from some of the truly evil cultic practices of the Canaanites, including uh, things like ritual human and child sacrifice and religious prostitution. That was a big part of Leviticus and the things that are in there is to separate them from these really evil things that were a part of Canaanite religion. It was probably written a little after the time of Moses in about 1500 BC. And uh, Leviticus is this book that was written as kind of a guidebook to these people. And they were, they were as they came into the land of Israel, they conquered all these uh, areas of this little, you know, part of Palestine. And then God gave them each a portion of the land. There were 11 tribes at this point. One of the tribes had been kind of sucked up into another tribe. There was 11 tribes. And God divvied up the land into 10 parts. Each tribe got one-tenth. They cast lots. They basically rolled some dice to decide who got which part of Israel. And each of them got one-tenth of the land as a gift from God, except for the Levites. 
which the book of Leviticus was written by. And uh, these, they were each given 10%, and they were told that the, Levit- the Levites weren't given a piece of land because their inheritance would be God, and that each of the other 10 tribes were responsible for giving one-tenth of what came out of that land to take care of the Levites. That was God's plan for his people that would take care of the tabernacle and the temple and show the Israelites in the world how to worship the one true God. Um, and this land was a gift. It wasn't something that they had earned, that they had made happen on their own. It was something that was given to them. But along the way, people and families and individuals would lose their land. You and I do not value land in the same way. Most of us live on one-tenth of an acre, one-sixteenth of an acre, uh, maybe even smaller if you live in Brighton or in the city. It's these tiny little pieces of land, and we don't derive our income or our food or anything from the land, but at this time, they derived everything from the land. So the land was the way that God provided for them by giving them this, this slice, this piece. Um, but people would lose their land, and then there was no way to care for them. They wouldn't, you know, like they would have a, a divorce in their family that was a bad thing back then because one of the parties would lose their birthright and lose their land. They wouldn't have a place to go. Um, there would be deaths in families, and evil neighbors would take parts of their land. Um, there would be drought and famine, and they'd sell their land as a debt. So people would be landless. But even God provided for those people that did not have land. And we read in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 11, it says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Now, this idea of gleaning is, is really the leftovers. They were supposed to leave the very edges of their fields alone and not, not get all the way there. You know how when, when you have a little bit of OCD and you're mowing your lawn and you've got to go over it twice to get the lines just right and make sure you get every blade of grass? That's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you're supposed to leave a swath around the edge. You're supposed to leave this uncut area as they were harvesting their wheat, or even as they went through and gathered their grapes, they were only supposed to do it once. They were supposed to leave what came behind, and the gleanings were the leftovers. And uh, this is kind of counterintuitive to us. You know, this is not Six Sigma uh, efficiency friendly. Uh, in our jobs, this is, this is one of our main ways that we get efficiency out of um, our companies and out of, out of the places where we work is we find the most value anywhere we can get it. We, we trim all the way to the edges, we take all the money we can get, and we funnel it into our shareholders and our investors. But God's way is a little different, and he gives us a reason why. You're supposed to leave them for the poor and the foreigner, for those who have no land to care for themselves. This was God's plan through the land that he gave the Israelites, he was going to care for the poor and the foreigner. You also see that I, I left a little part on the end there where it says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. And uh, he wanted the, the writer of this put it in the middle of a retelling of the Ten Commandments. So you got the Ten Commandments, which is this 
enormously important document that basically lays out the whole of human morality in these 10 rules. And the Israelites saw it as completely formative for their society. And they put this in the middle of it. There's two reasons. The first is they wanted us to know that if we gleaned, if we took all the edges, if we were super efficient at our harvest, we were actually stealing from the poor because God had set aside those edges for them, not for us. So we want to make sure that it, it fits within, you know, the Ten Commandments, do not steal, is directly tied to this gleaning passage. And the second is, um, there is, at, for the last 3,500 years, nothing has changed. And there's no Christian scholar, there's, there's no pastor that's going to say the Ten Commandments are not normative for us today. They're so important to how we understand who God is and how to love and care for one another. No one is going to say the Ten Commandments aren't, aren't important. And they put it right in the middle of it so we couldn't pry it apart. This gleaning passage is a part of how God wants us to love and to care and to act towards one another. So is God requiring the same thing for us? Are we not supposed to mow the edges of our yards? We don't have land. We don't have vineyards. What does this have to do with us? You see, this, this idea, this gleaning idea, it challenges the basic assumption that we have as free Western people, that our belongings are what we've earned, and they're ours to do with as we please. Nothing has changed, though. This passage is on par with the Ten Commandments. You see, everything we have just like the land for the, the Israelites, everything that we have is a gift from God. And uh, some of it is to provide for the least among us. Some of it is to provide beyond just the contribution of the 10% to the Levites uh, or our 10% to church. Some of it is set aside for God's purposes to care for the poor and the foreigner among us. And we've talked about it, that, that 10% isn't like a hard figure, you have to give 10%. It's different partially because we don't have this whole tribe of people we're, we're taking care of, but it's a good starting point, a good kind of number to shoot for and to shoot beyond as we're thinking about our giving back to God. But this is our ex example of what our generosity that God requires. It's, it's actually not generosity at all. It's not generosity in that everything that we have is a gift from God. It's a gift that comes with the responsibility and the privilege to manage it according to the way that he's instructed us. This isn't our stuff. Part of it has been set aside. Most of it has been set aside to care for our families and to care for the people that God's given us in our lives. But there's a portion that's not ours. There's a portion that God has set aside for the poor, the foreigner, and for caring for his kingdom work in this world. It's an important thing for us to see and to realize. Our gleaning looks different today than it did then. Um, we have different types of things. Um, maybe an idea, instead of saying gleaning, because it's just a funny word and we don't talk about that, we could talk about margin, the space on the edges. On, on a sheet, you have this margin that makes it easier to read. There's a little bit of space on the edge. That's where we find God's plan, is in the margins. And uh, there's this definition of margin from Richard Swenson's book, um, and, and this way he says, margin is the amount allowed beyond which that which is needed 
It is something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion, the space between breathing freely and suffocating. It's the leeway we once had between ourselves and our limits. The problem is most of us don't live with any margin. We live to the edge with our time, with our energy, and with our money. We find ways to use every last bit of what we have on ourselves, as if it was ours to spend. You see, margin is that space on the edges where we have room to give and to care for the least among us, our friends, our neighbors, our family, our acquaintances. In many ways, the, the story of the Good Samaritan is a, is a story of margin. This Samaritan had something to give beyond what he needed himself, and so he could care for those he stumbled up, across. And that's, that's our call is to have this space on the edge because God has people that we're going to run across their path, and we need to have space to be able to care for them. So we're, we're not agrarian. We're, we're not, we don't have land and vineyards. At least I don't. I don't know about you, but I live in Watertown, and there's no space. And we're not an agrarian society, and our land is not our wealth. Our wealth looks different today. The things that we've been given are still gifts from God, though. Our wages, what we make for taking our body, our time, our energy, and our intelligence and turn it into goods in the world, all of those things are gifts that God's given us. Um, our, our time, our energy, even the capital, the things that we own are a gift from God. Because everything on earth is a gift. Your life is a gift. Even your family and your family values are a gift that God gave you when you were born winning the cosmic lottery in your family. Um, your education is a gift and, and in something that's entrusted to you to use for how God wants. Um, your knowledge, your understanding of this world is something, it's a gift that God's given you. And so our margins look different, but we are called to have that margin and to give it away in the same way. And when we give it away, it's not some great act of generosity, but simply doing with those things what God has intended for them to be done. The reason that God gave us were fulfilling. You see, our generosity is not above and beyond anything. It's simply trusting that obeying God with what we have by not holding on to it, by holding it with open hands, it will mean that we are in God's will, loving and serving him because he loves us so much. Often we don't feel like we have enough. Uh, we, we know that where every last dollar goes. We know where every last hour of time is spent and there's no extra. There's no margin, especially during the busy seasons of our lives. Where do we find this margin? Here's, here's a couple of ideas for you to consider where God might give you margin that you don't see in your life right now. We have an example of how to find a little bit of margin in this same passage where it talks about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is one out of seven days that God has set aside as a gift to us this margin for us to rest our weary legs and our weary arms and our weary minds after six hard days of work. But Sabbath doesn't happen on its own. It has to be set apart ahead of time. Otherwise, you'll never rest. Work will always come at you. There's always things to be done. But Sabbath is etched out ahead of time with intention. 
rather than waiting to see what's left over in the end. Um, this is the heart of leaving food for gleaning. It's not, I'm going to use what I need and then give the rest away afterwards. It's trusting and intending to leave an edge, to leave some room so that God can use it and we don't use it up on ourselves. It's like budgeting. Your budget will always go to your weaknesses if you don't intend to do something different. Um, so Sabbath works the same way. And the question is, could you, could you intend to create margin by living intentionally with your time and your money? So margin comes from savings, spending less on the things that we need by looking for discounts on items that we need and that are using money. This is a way for us to use our money responsibly. Um, as a part of this next initiative, Malia and I have been doing some, some uh, reviewing of our finances, and um, we've, we've committed to look at our expenses and find some savings. And uh, so I, I've been doing that and looking for some opportunities. And so for the last month, I, I found about $100 a month that I can save. Um, I switched our internet provider. I switched our cell phone company. And I literally, I literally saved 15% Switching to Geico. I'm not, I'm not joking. It was, it was exactly 15%. It did take me 20 minutes, though, so don't believe everything you hear. Uh, no, I literally saved 15%, so all of a sudden, there's this, there's this money that I was sending to Progressive because I wasn't sending it to Geico. There's this, there's this margin in our lives. Um, on an unrelated note, if anyone needs a, a newer Samsung Galaxy for Sprint, I'd like to sell you one, so let me know if you'd like that. Margin comes from savings, from finding ways to spend less for the things that we need. Um, margin comes from needing less. We can save money by paying less for the things that we do buy and by buying things that we don't need very much. Um, I'm embarrassed. I would be embarrassed to tell you the number of times that I've moved in the 10 years of marriage. It's way more than any human being should ever move. But it's given me a very clear understanding of what my belongings mean. Every time I'm at Target, I'm looking at an aisle of things, and all I'm imagining is taking that same item, finding a box to put it in, wrapping it up, closing the box, carrying it out to the moving truck, carrying it out of the moving truck into the new home, unpacking it, and finding a new place for it. Every time I'm in any store, that's all I'm imagining. It's a great way to live because you don't buy very many things when you think about the cost it takes to manage the junk that we live with. Um, this, this is a good discipline to start to understand is that everything we buy takes up a little bit of our time and space and energy. And so when we buy less, it gives us margin, not the money we save, but our lives as well. Margin comes from moving slower. Uh, we all know those purchases we make because we're in a hurry. Uh, we pay more for something that we don't need because there's convenience attached to it. Uh, this, this may have to do with your Starbucks um, or Dunkin' Donuts addiction that fuels you in the morning and sucks your bank accounts dry. Thousands of dollars we spend on coffee. Or, you know, maybe we cannot be bothered to spend 15 minutes in the morning preparing a nutritious, cheap meal at home, and so we spend 10 or $15 for lunch day in and day out. These are thousands and thousands of dollars that we spend because we're moving too fast, because we don't have margins in our time and our space. 
and we pay a significant markup for that convenience of the instant gratification. So our question is this, is there room in your life for God to use your margin for the sake of others? Because this is why God gave you that margin. We're stealing from God. We're stealing from the people that he has given us to care for when we use everything that's been given to us. This is important to understand for us. God has plans for your margin and he has plans for those gleanings and it's not just for you to have what you want but those gleanings are a part of his plan to transform the world. God gave you that margin because he has a plan for it and it's bigger than you can imagine. Brian has been talking about generosity for the last several weeks. The first week we talked, um, he, he said, when we learn to give generously, we begin to live abundantly. That our giving is directly tied to our happiness. We see this across tons of different academic disciplines. There's study after study after study saying that holding on to things makes us unhappy. Holding on to things and not giving leads to small living. And so if we want to experience joy, it's going to start by asking, what does it look like to give my life and my time and my money away? The second week he talked about Grace Chapel's vision and how God is on the move and we as a church want to be a part of where God is going. That's a big part of this story and why we're talking about giving is because God's up to some great stuff and I'm going to be talking about that in a few minutes. And the third week he said, when we give generously, we invite God's blessing in our lives, our church, and our world. Because when we take the parts that God's given us and those margins and we use them the way that God planned, he's free to give us more because we use it responsibly. He can take care of the world through us because we're a conduit for his blessing to the world. And this has set the stage for us to talk about what are the next steps for us and what does it look like for us for the next two years in Watertown as we follow a God who's always on the move? The last 15 months have been a whirlwind of change and growth and launching here at Watertown. Almost 700 people have come through these doors of Grace Watertown the last 15 months. We launched our kids' ministry, our youth ministry at the very beginning. We've had movie nights, parents' nights out. Christmas caroling, potluck lunches. We had over 800 people at our Harvest Fest this fall. We were just starting our second Alpha course. Kidstown is full all morning downstairs. And there's about 60 kids that come week in and week out. And some weeks it's even more. We have six new life communities that have started. And that's a lot. <laughs> Whew, that's, that's a good year. That's a, good, that's a good decade for a lot of churches, and we just did it in, in 15 months. That's a great thing. Absolutely. God has done so much among us. Um, and I, I, know, I want you to know that from my conversations with the Community Church of Watertown folk who entrusted this building to us together, what they say is that this is more than they could have ever imagined could have happened. And it's because of you because of you coming and giving and serving. It's beautiful. We want to use this building to the max. We want to take it as far as it'll go. And, and in some ways, we're just about there. Uh, there's only about one night a week that there's not something happening around here at Grace Chapel Watertown. Our downstairs is used 30 hours a week for a nursery school that rents from us um, and cares for kids in our community. 
Sundays, our Kids Town ministry is full to the hilt some weeks and uh, a little overflowing at times. Um, even if more people were coming and worshiping up here, we wouldn't have a lot of room for their kids or teenagers, which is a good thing. It's a really good thing. Uh, many of you know that our teenagers have been meeting down the street at the police station, um, aptly enough. It's, it's been very good for them. Um, they've learned lots of <laughs> discipline. Um, but that was a temporary solution, and they're coming back here starting next week. Um, and so, you know, there's, we're, we're confined, but we're using this building in great ways. It means, it means that there's spiritual hunger in our community, that this building and this church was fulfilling a need in, in this community, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, there, there are people that are still waiting to be invited, um, and, and when they see a sign or they see some life in this church, they come looking to find God. Uh, many of you are in that category. About a third of you weren't going to church regularly before we started Watertown. So this has been a part of your journey and your story. And we believe that there's more people like you out there that are looking for a place to find God in their journey. Less than 20% of the people in our town go to church with any sort of regularity. And less than 10% of them go to a church where the gospel is preached week in and week out. And there's more need than we know what to do with if we just tap into it. The next steps for us here at Watertown will be continuing to maximize the space that God and the Community Church of Watertown have given us, filling up this worship center. Uh, we would have a little more leeway with kids um, if we had more leaders that were willing to commit to helping lead both hours. And so if God has given you a little bit of margin in your life, that would be a great place to invest it because it creates opportunities for kids and families to worship with us on Sunday mornings. We need to continue to do a good job inviting our neighbors and family and colleagues and inviting them to this welcoming place on a Sunday morning where they can get to know God and hears that he loves them and that he gave up everything to know them. This is good news. This is God's little kingdom outpost in Watertown and we are his hands and feet and his presence in this community. Um, as Brian shared, our next initiative will, co will continue a renewed focus on being a great place for kids and teens to discover a relationship with God and telling the next generation of the great things that God has done among us. God has entrusted those kids and those teenagers to us. We take that responsibility incredibly seriously. When we do baby dedications, I invite our congregation to make an oath. And I, I, I've heard you all say yes to this. We commit to helping raise our children together, showing them the love of God. We need to continue to take that very seriously, loving and caring for the kids that God's given us. It's our joy and our responsibility. And if God has given you a little bit of relational margin, maybe he gave it to you to invest as a significant adult friend's in the lives of kids in our church. Um, this past fall, we launched a partnership with Crew High School to reach out to teens in, a, in this area of the city. And uh, our hope is that God will give us an opportunity to connect every teenager in our town with an opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, we continue to invest in a team of adults and teens that are reaching out through fun events, mentoring, Bible study, and Tuesday night events at my house. Um, which is fun having a bunch of teenagers at my house. I love it. Um, and this will only continue with your prayer and support. Um, for both kids and teens, as you can probably tell, we need a little bit of space. 
Um, we'd also love to have a little bit of space for adult discipleship, for courses. Um, I'm working with a team of people here at Grace Chapel to look at what it looks like to use the little bit of land that we have to maybe expand our footprint and add a little bit of space here. Um, that's a part of our next initiative to explore those options and see how God might be preparing us for the next step here in Watertown. And I've heard from many of you that you're, you're looking for ways to grow spiritually um, and to understand more of the Bible. And I think this is why we keep showing up week after week, is to know more. And uh, as you heard earlier, our, all of our life communities will be doing this uh, Lenten journey at the table um, with our life communities and our table groups meeting for five weeks in a row, studying John 13 through 17, Jesus' last teachings together. And uh, life communities will continue to be a place where we gather together, other than Sunday mornings, to grow as a community in understanding and knowing God and being Christ followers. And so I want to invite you to lean into that and invigorate those with your presence and with your energy as we go forward. Um, and lastly, we have this congregation here in Watertown because Community Church of Watertown gave us this building and because 150 people came from our Lexington campus and they came to serve and to lead and to worship alongside of us. This was an amazing asset and a gift for the kingdom uh, that they were able to send a bunch of people to create a vibrant community here. Uh, and my hope is that we can do the same long term. My prayer is that over the next few years, we might be able to, as the Watertown campus, send out a group of people to help launch another Grace Chapel campus. Would you pray with me that God would grow us enough that we'd be in a place to send off a healthy group of leaders in the future to maybe help start a new campus and bless another area of our city? And the reason I like I like this idea of gleaning is that each of us have this edge of our land, this edge of our lives, and when we bring it all together, it's this war chest that God's able to take and then turn into transformed lives. That's a beautiful thing when God uses all, all the little extras of our lives that he's set aside for his kingdom purposes and brings them together to do something cool like what's happening here at Grace Chapel. And so next Sunday will be Intention Sunday, a moment for us to come forward to make an intention, to give generously to the mission of the church, and to celebrate together how God is growing us in generosity. Um, our campus pastors team has been talking about Intention Sunday for almost five months now, even praying together as individuals and spouses about our own giving and growing in our commitment to the body of Christ. Uh, so when Malia and I give, we give online, and that helps us each week to give regularly. Now, it's, it's hard to not put anything in the plate every week because <laughs> it's happening online, but, you know, it's, it's something that we do so that we don't forget. We give online through the mygrace.org uh, website. And uh, we, we as a family are so happy to give generously to the church and to this next initiative because God is at work. We want to be a part of what's going on around here. We want to see more people experience the life-changing message of the gospel. And so we're happy to give and give generously. Um, over the last couple of months, uh, Malia and I have prayed and we've asked the Lord what to give over the next two years, what to commit next Sunday. And as you know, as many of you know, we, we had a baby nine months ago. Uh, Elsie was born and this brought significant changes to our lives and to our financial situation. Um, we decided we want Malia to only go back to work part-time after her maternity leave 
And that meant, and I know for many of you, you understand this, it meant a significant, a significant cut to our income. More than I'd like to admit. <laughs> it, was, it was expensive. It was an expensive decision. Um, and so as we were preparing to change our giving this fall, we were preparing to reduce our giving because our income had reduced so much. Um, but as we prayed, as we started to talk about this next initiative, uh, we felt the Lord inviting us to take a step of faith, to step out in faith and keep our giving at the level we had before, which is much more than we've ever given as a percentage of our income. Um, we have tried throughout our marriage to be right at that 10% mark because um, we, we've wanted to be faithful to God with what he's given us. Um, and with us keeping our giving at our previous levels and losing close to a third of our income, it means that we're, we're jumping above that 10% mark for the first time. And uh, it's expensive. It's really expensive. It's a stretch. It means that we need to think about where we spend our money and we need to do less things and take less trips, buy less things. But, but I, for one, am really excited to see what God will do as we commit to give more, to live more simply, and to find the margin that he's set aside for his purposes. And I hope that next, next Sunday, on Intention Sunday, um, it feels like a celebration to you and your family. Hopefully, as your family or you as an individual or as a couple prays together and you write a faith-filled number on that card, it will be a time to count all the ways that God has taken care of you, to look at that 10% of land that God has set aside for you, to look at the time, the energy, the health, the money, the capital, the real estate, and all the things that God has given you, and giving away a portion of it will feel like a joy because you're just giving back to God what he has given to you so, so generously. Uh, you may have heard uh, about the two great seas in the land of Israel. The first is the Sea of Galilee. It sits in the north in the hill country, and it collects water. It collects fresh water, and it's really a source of life for the entire country because it flows into the Jordan River, and the Jordan River irrigates hundreds of thousands of acres of land for miles and miles and miles. The Sea of Galilee has really supported hundreds and millions, hundreds of thousands and millions of lives for millennia because it takes in water and it flows out fresh water. On the other end of the Jordan, at the bottom of Israel is the, the Dead Sea. You've heard of the Dead Sea. You've probably heard some apocryphal stories about things that float in the Dead Sea. Um, but the Dead Sea is this place where the Jordan River flows in and nothing flows out. And over time, as it's been filled and filled and filled with sediment and with salt, it's become uninhabitable because it's a stagnant place, because nothing's flowing out of it. And it's a beautiful picture of two different kinds of lives the kinds of lives that are given great things and become a conduit for blessing and care for the world, and the other that takes and takes and takes until it cripples and ruins and sours like the Dead Sea. And our question is, as a church and as individuals, do we want to be more like the Sea of Galilee, a true blessing for the world, known the world over for how it's cared for so many people, or do we want to be known as the Dead Sea? I, I, for one, don't. And some of this margin, 
some of these gleanings in our lives are set aside for a specific need that we come across. God has set us in a neighborhood, in a job, in a family for the sake of the people around us. And maybe our call is to be on the lookout for how God might use those edges of our lives for his kingdom. So let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together to worship, to jump into your word, to get to know you and what you care about more. We pray, God, that as we listen to your word, that it transforms us. We pray that it won't come back void and that as we hear it, it challenges us and it invites us into deeper intimacy with you. And um, Lord God, that this, this message of, of margin and gleaning would help us find those edges that you've set aside for other things. Lord God, give us loving, caring, obedient hearts that want to bless the world because you've taken care of us so well. In your name we pray, amen.